Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. Darren Davis was a prison custody officer for 21 years in a high-security prison for male adults. In 2016, he was awarded the National Inspirational Tutor of the Year for his work helping young people gain qualifications while serving custodial sentences. After leaving the prison service in 2021, Darren joined the Three Pillars Project as a mentor and coach. This charity delivers sport mentoring programmes for young people at risk of committing crimes. Darren now works in a local secondary school whilst also exploring life as an endurance athlete. He has participated in three Arctic expeditions and a massive 3,493-mile cycle ride from Norway to Malta, which took 55 days. Darren also competes in Ironman triathlons and has achieved bronze all-world athlete status. So welcome to the show, Darren. Oh, it's lovely to meet you two guys. Um, I really appreciate you having me on and just speaking with you and um you two and it's just it's just an honor it's an honor to meet you two guys because um educators are phenomenal people they are they really are and um we know you're an educator yourself darren so i hope you're including that um yourself in in, in that comment we'll explore that a little bit further a little bit later on but it, it's wonderful to have you thank you very much for your time um i know you're a busy man it's great to have you pinned down for an hour we've got so much we want to have a conversation about us <laughs> Saying to, to to Darren just before we came and started to record, we usually have four or five bullet points we start to explore as a sort of guide for our guests. And we've got about <laughs> 25 between us, I think, for this one. So there's lots of different angles and, and exit points as we go through conversations. And today's conversation will very much revolve around the theme of relationships. Um, as Alan mentioned, Darren's worked in a variety of different contexts where relationships are absolutely paramount. And maybe if we can start, Darren, with... Uh, a conversation or a few comments from you around maybe one of your more high-profile relationships that you've had, that with um, former prisoner um, John McAvoy. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with John and how that came about? Yeah, that's that's quite a number of years ago now. So that was around 2010. So 12 years ago, it's a long time. Um, what an incredible man. What an incredible human being. Um, I come across so many talented individuals or did when I was in the prison service and John struck me straight away as someone who was very focused very driven uh, as we as we got into the relationship more so um, and I knew he was going to achieve something in life I knew he was going to be successful um, I spotted him on a on a row machine on a concept two row machine and it's it, you don't generally see guys in the prison or in the prison gym training on a concept two row machine. It's generally weights um, and sports. So a row machine, you will go in probably, you know, yourself, you, you go in gyms up and down the country and you don't generally see people on the row machine because it's a difficult, 
it's a difficult machine and it works you really hard and it pushes you to the max and you know to the max so so at the time john was um raising money for a local hospice um and he did this through he, he spotted a guy um who was raising money also when he was wondering what he was doing so john jumped at it jumped at the chance of raising money for the same local hospice by doing a million meters um and john took it from a million meters up to five million meters over about five months and and that's just that's just mind-blowing in itself but during that during them you know some of the rows that he was doing i spotted how quick he was and I don't know why, why I sort of, because I'm not a row myself, but I just sensed that there was something really quick and really focused about what he did and his intentions. So I went away and I printed off some of the records. So I went on the Concept2 website, printed off the British and World Records. And I come back a couple of days later and spoke to John and I said, look, these are some of the records that that, um, that people have done. But what you've got to realise during that time, nobody in prison uh, has ever attempted any of these records. So that in itself is unique in itself. So um, he, he asked me, you know, could it go away and and, uh, and ask Concept2 whether he can do any of the records? And they agreed to it as long as it was... It was um, you know, verified correctly, that we weighed him, we took pictures of the monitors, um, and that he did it correctly, you know, um, that there was always somebody there. But having the card within the row machine, it um, it kept all the data, recorded all the data. So he, he started off doing, um, so it was agreed um, to do the full marathon. So um, John broke it by quite a number of minutes which is just an incredible feat, you know, for his first record to break a British full marathon on the row machine. So after after doing that, he, he, he ended up breaking three world records and seven British records on a row machine. But what was the most... While, while this was happening, we was obviously building a relationship together. So, you know, we'd sit in a sports hall sometimes and have conversations about sports people, about, you know, we'd talk about my family and things like that and my background and some of the enjoyed stuff that I'd done. And we sort of connected. And and this carried on, obviously, when he when he was released from prison. But I think one of the records that really stands out is probably when he did the 24-hour row which is something that it just wouldn't generally happen. To be in a Category B high-secure prison, to have a prisoner out his cell at night time, doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Um, so the governor at the time, Gareth Sands, um, I I written a letter to him and I said, look, you know, John's, I feel John has got something and I can feel it can be very successful if he attempts this 24-hour row. He's already done previous records, but this is this is something that has to be authorised from him and above. You know, so I can remember him contacting me back and and him giving me the green light, and I approached John and I said, look, we've got the green light for this, John. You know, when are you ready? And it was like, basically, he just did a, a bit of preparation, then we was good to go. 
but it was quite interesting in that I was a little bit I was a little bit protective as such in that when he was doing the record that when you when you're doing something like this uh, this intense and so focused and for such a long a long period of time you don't want no interruptions you really don't so I always try and kept me and him within the room but you would get prison officers that come in to make sure that we're okay then they'd shut the door again yeah we're fine we're good to go so so what I did was we set up a board I put a board up with all the time so every time he reached certain targets I'd written the, the target down written it all down um I what was quite interesting and he still remembers this is that I I put motivational quotes up around the room around his vision so he could see them so when times do become tough sometimes these quotes they really hit a nerve they really you you get something from them it puts you into a place where you know something that maybe have happened to in the, to you in the past or um but what i did like i say i put the motivational quotes up but also i situated a, a static bike behind the row machine so i wasn't in his line of vision but also i was there saying John, are you okay? Is everything good? You're doing great. You know, keep motivating him. Do you want a drink? Is everything fine? You know, it was, I, I was out of his line of vision, but I was in his audio. He could hear me. Yeah. yeah. So so what I said to him before he did this um, attempt, 24-hour world record, was that, was that obviously we had obviously peace and quiet, you know, I didn't want any of that, but it, it's, it, it's just the, the intensity of, of that, um, the, of that, I'm sorry, I've just, I've just lost my train of thought there. Sorry about that. Um, can I just have a second? Yeah, of course. I'm just trying to think back a little bit. So, yeah, so we'd done the record and, I can remember him um, after the, after the attempt to and taking him back on the wing and or should I say before that it was on the mat and and I can remember him saying that you know just just you know the sort of, I've lost my train of thought I've completely lost my train of thought sorry about that no it's it's great Darren I can see the emotion that comes out through this and if I just take it back a a step. This is a guy, if people don't know John McAvoy, he was the number one arm robber in the UK at the time. Been in Belmarsh, high security, extremely anti-establishment, didn't have a positive male role model in his life, yeah. and he admitted that until he met you, Darren. And I can see it means a lot to you in the way that you're speaking. How did that connection, when he's someone so anti-establishment, how did you do that that resulted in this world record attempt and everything else he's gone on to achieve. That's what we really want to get to the bottom of. How did you do that? I think it's me connecting. I think it's it's me, and I feel it's just having the time to speak to people and me understanding who he is, and but also it's him understanding who I am as well. You know, and you've got to understand that him being a prisoner, me being a prison officer, there's a barrier there. There is a barrier. So there's you know some things you can't say obviously i'm a prison officer and i've got to i've got to be professional in the in the in in my in my duties 
But I think it's just connecting and having these conversations and understanding each other about, you know, me wanting him to do well in life and wanting to be a, a good role model for other people, you know. And, you know, breaking these records, it's an incredible um, feat and achievement. But I think what he's doing now um connecting with people and being that positive role model for these kids for the younger generation and for the older generation you know it, it just that it's just it has a more huger impact than than the records alone it's mm. just changing other people's lives and i suppose i was there from at a time where i don't know did the stars aligned and and you know we connected together and and you know, built this relationship up, and you know, I'm just, I just find it very rewarding to see him do so well in life. But to have this, like, with the rowing, some of the rowing records, to to be given the author, you know, to given the, um, you know, the authorization for these to take place, it wouldn't generally happen in, in the prison service. So, you know, we're very grateful that that um, that, that that authorization was given. But I think. You know, upon his release, you know, I always con I always followed his journey. So when he worked in um I think it was in Derby, he worked as a as a PT, he volunteered as a PT in one of the um uh, I think it was Fitness First. You know, I, I went out and seen him and I suppose I was the familiar face, you know, uh, you know, that he's seen in the prison service. And that that generally doesn't happen in that prison officers go into the into the community and speak to some of the guys that are that familiar face when they have been serving time in prison. And I feel that that probably needs to be done more, mm -hmm. you know, because when they go into the community, they may have been out serving a sentence for so long, but who can they trust? Who do they know? They don't, they probably don't know anybody, but to have that familiar face, to have those have the conversations, it can, it can really make an impact and make a difference. And, and you mentioned there, you mentioned there, Darren, um, You've mentioned a few different words and I want to try and start sort of bring these together a little bit because the first thing you talked about a little bit earlier on was, you know, you spotted this guy um, and to, to, to take the time to spot somebody and to actually care, you cared, you yeah. showed some care, you thought, hang on a minute, he looks, he, he looks like he's really enjoying that, there might be something there, I'm going to go and have a conversation with him. So there's there's a level of care in what you were doing, you weren't just going through the motions in your job. There's a level of care in the the sort of preparation that you've took him through in terms of talking him through these records, approaching concept to putting the times down on the whiteboard, thinking about where you're sitting so you've got an audio connection with him but not a visual, thinking about the quotes that are on the wall. The level of care is astounding. And then you've got also this trust that you've not got just with John, but you've also clearly got with the governor of the prison and Concept2, you've you've built a level of trust with them where Concept2 have said yes, the governor have said yes, John McAvoy wants to do it, and you're central to all that, and your relationships have built all that. How how do you how do you do that, Darren? Is it as simple as showing people that you care and building that trust that helps that relationship flourish? Is that a linear relationship? Is it a little bit more complicated? No, I don't. I don't think it's complicated at all. I uh, I think it's just been. I th just think it's something we need to do and need to connect more with people. And I think that it's probably from I've 
from from my mum and dad. It's just how I, how I am as a person is is connecting to people, and and I feel that you know, like during COVID times, it's been difficult. And I, and I had this conversation with you off, you know, before before we even you know sort of went live here, is that uh, you know, during COVID is a very difficult time, and to connect with with people during difficult moments is it's important you know and and it's that i think it's something we need to do we all need you know we all need somebody to turn to and i feel that i feel that people are more open now you know people are you know there's no sort of boundaries as such it's just that people connect more with other people and i think because of covid for instance you know people have struggled through that so they have reached out to their to their circle of friends or family and you've um You've had a tough audience, though, there, haven't you? You know, you, <laughs> you're being very modest, but you know, like Alan mentioned earlier, you know, you've got a guy who's one of the most notorious armed robbers in the UK who's clearly had a really negative sort of yeah, opinion yeah. of building relationships, and you've managed to break that down. And the work yeah. that you've continued doing in your role as working as a prison officer, um, it put you in lots of different situations where you needed these skills, didn't it? Can you tell us about a few of the situations that you've been in? I know you've done some work around hostage negotiation. Uh, maybe tell us a few of the, the the difficult situations that you found yourself in there. Yeah, it's, it, do you know something? It's generally, I've never really spoke about it. I just haven't. Even when I've been in situations and I've had these hot debriefs, I felt fine. I've never had no effect from them. And some of the situations have been very, very difficult, life-threatening, you know. And and I just find that when you're in them situations, you're connecting with people and you're wanting to get to know them and you're wanting to understand why they're in these difficult situations. And generally, it's something quite simple, whereas it might be one of the guys has lost his job why has nobody sat down with this guy and discussed why he's lost his job? Um, you know, is this something we can do? You know, can we find him in some more work, something else that he will enjoy doing? They're near enough taking his life. I mean, seriously, I mean, it just takes that conversation. It just takes that sit down. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a chat. Let's see how we feel. And, and you know, and you wouldn't have been in this situation. You know, so, and I think it's just through experiences of of being in, you know, different personalities, different characters, and I think it's just me learning from them. And because I've learned something from them, because you learn, you do learn from other people, and and I and I, and I felt that I've probably taken that on and used it, you know, to help and support them. Yeah, you've used an example there. I think of sort of talking someone down away from a potential suicide situation, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine if you if you asked um, the, the average person down the street of <laughs> what would you say to somebody who looks like they're about to commit suicide, you'd imagine that that would be a really complicated answer. It would be really something people would have to think about of, well, I couldn't, how could I help? What could I do? I'm just another person. If this person's made their mind up, what do you say? Is is it much more simple than than maybe people consider? I think what you've got to realise is that life is so precious and it's so important. There's always 
there will be somebody to live for. There is something to live for. You know, um, there's so much to do in life and, and, you know, to just, just to take that away in an instance, it's, it's very, very devastating. And like some of the guys who I've, I've spoke to, they've got children and, and I'm like, you know, your son, your daughter wants to see you, wants to grow up with you, want to see you, you know, and have these conversations and play and go on the park when, when they're a little bit older. And it's, you know, it's, but to, to, it's just so devastating for people to think about wanting to take their own lives. But this can happen to anybody. Anybody can get into a situation where they're, they are in difficult times. But you've got to realise if you're incarcerated, you know, things become more difficult because obviously you've took your freedom away. But I suppose that's their choice. You know, they, you know, everybody's got a choice whether they want to do something or they don't want to do something. So obviously they put themselves in a situation. But, you know, to be in a situation where they want to take the life, you know, that's the conversation that I've had with them not to go down that avenue because of how precious life is and how important it is and and you know we're one of trillions of of his chances being on this earth you know and and it's just having that quality of life you know and do the things that you would really want to do in life you know i i want to just bring this back to i think you are so understating <laughs> so, the, humble. so incredible humility of what you've your experiences and your lived experience have they are superhero qualities what you're talking being able to understand people's problems and talk to them there's not many people out there that will invest that amount of time i'm interested now to look at you must have encountered some characters in there in, in the prisons and in your school and in your charity, where they didn't want to connect. You were the the enemy, the fed, whatever word you want to call it out there. They didn't want to know. Did, what, what were your strategies there? Did you still persevere? Or is what, oh, do you know what? I'm going to leave them? Because these are situations we encounter every day in schools, in businesses. And I'd be really interested to find out what you, what you did in that situation. Yeah, I think I think you're right in what you're saying. It's persevering. It's building them relationships, and that is the important issue: is that the building the relationship. And obviously, if you do get to know them, you I feel you will have a a, a better impact. And you, you mentioned earlier as well about um, positive role models, and mm. I suppose for John, I was the positive role model, male role model that he didn't have in his life. You know, because the ones that he knew, you know, pushed him in the wrong direction, so to speak. So I was there for him that that I was the one that he reached out to and he could trust. And I think that is a that is another word as well, trust. So building relationships. And I think it's it is persevering because you know, we don't always connect with people straight away. We we sometimes repel against, you know, we're just against each other. And sometimes that builds a better, it sounds, sometimes it builds a better relationship, you know, because you, there's a reason. Uh, and sometimes it's like, because I'm working in the schools at the moment and, 
some of the kids are, you know, they probably think I I am a an enemy. I'm, they think I'm a fed. I'm not a fair. I wasn't. I'm not a fair. <laughs> you know, I find that quite funny, really, because I'm, I'm not. You know, as a, I worked in the prison service, but you know, and I think once they get to know me, I think they find it. They they find some interesting conversations with me, talking about life, and I think they probably don't speak about that in schools yeah. about life. You know, it's it's interesting. You, I've got some stats here in front of me from the University of Edinburgh, and they're talking about links with student exclusion before yeah. at 12 years old. If you are excluded at 12, you're four times as likely to be to be jailed as an adult. And I know there's loads of stats from America as well about how they use school exclusion to actually to build jails down the line. Um, tell us a bit about that work that you've done on rehabilitation and preventing that re that reoffending or preventing children from entering lives of crime, because that's where some of your superpowers really come in. So you're talking about working in the school at the moment? Either you, either when you work with the charity okay. or, or when you're at school, we can okay. go in, in either direction there, Darren. Yeah. I think like we're, if you're looking at the prison service, you know, I was in it for rehabilitation. I was in it to support and help these guys. Not everybody's the same. There is some fantastic, amazing staff working in the prison service that help and support and rehabilitate. And they're incredible, incredible people. And and I found the same when I worked in the Three Pillars Project. The team is an amazing team that helps. Some of the guys that become apprentices that start to gain and rec- learn and uh, learn and gain recognized qualifications in fitness and go on to speak to um to kids at school to tell them their life experiences and then in schools as well is to break down these barriers with the kids that i mean they don't know me at all but for me to like go into a school and i've only been there uh, two or three months you know to have these conversations say look if you want to sit down with me five or 10 minutes, have these conversations, you know, I'm here for you, you know, and if I can help and support you in any way, trust me, I will, I will do that for you, you know, and I think it's them trusting me and having that and building them relationships with them and for me to see them become successful in their lives because it's so important. I don't want them to be disruptive. I don't want them to be going down the down the wrong path and you was mentioning about what happens with exclusion and and it's not good and there's a reason behind that and you need to you need to you know get to where where it begins you know where is it from why is it happening and i feel that we need to do that and we need to have these conversations yeah because you know kids are going through difficult times yeah. But do we have conversations with them? I don't know. If I can have conversations with them, I will have conversations with them and have these discussions with them. And if I can help and support them in any way I can, I will do. And I feel that's that stemmed back to, you know, working in the prison service for over 21 years and having that knowledge and understanding. And But now the, the sort of age, the age is, is slightly different 
And, you know, these young people, a lot of them have not gained their independence yet. And, and I think with the guys that I used to teach, because I used to, I used to work in, the, in a sports academy in the prison. So I was a sports and leisure tutor. And what I found really rewarding, and it's not about the qualification, it's about the personal development. Mm-hmm. So when they came in through the door, they wasn't sure whether they was in the right place, you know, to come in and, you know, to learn these qualifications. But it's having the conversations during the course that is important. It's me understanding what they're about, where they want to be in life. And and I always say that, you know, when they come through the door, they're building a wall. So each brick is a skill. So it, it could be a qualification. It could be confidence. These, these respect, these all, you know, it's all these bricks and you're building a wall and you're wanting this, all, this wall as high as you possibly can. And what I find interesting is that I'd have conversations with them in the office about anything and life and anything. And, and it's me getting to know them and me trying to help them understand and tell them they've got so much potential in life because I found that some of the guys who I used to teach in prisons, they probably are or become some of the best PTs because they, they generally have a good understanding of people. They've worked through different cultures, different backgrounds, so they have a good understanding and they want to learn. You know, So it's like some days they'll come in and, and I know there's something not quite right they may have had a bad phone call or something like that. They've been given some bad news. And and I would have these conversations with them just to make sure that they're okay and I'm there for them. And if they want a couple of hours off, they can have a couple of hours off, you know, to take time with themselves. If they need me to come back later and have that conversation with them, I will do. You know, so it's me reaching out for them and making sure they're okay because, you know, we're not always happy all the time. It's sometimes we, we're sad and we go through a lot of, you know, sadness in the life. And I think sometimes we just need somebody there for us. And I suppose I was there for them, you know, offering that support, that shoulder, you know? Yeah, and that, that support and that shoulder and spending that time with people is really important. And I wonder if you could tell us, Darren, or, or give us a sense of one of the most one of the most challenging days that you've had um, in, in your role in, in prisons. Can you talk us through a particularly difficult relationship that you had or, or a challenging day that was incredibly difficult because maybe these things weren't available? There wasn't the time, the trust and the relationship wasn't there yet, you know, and the situations that came as a, a result of it um, were all sort of yeah. side effects of those things. Maybe just a, a sort of polar opposite of what you're talking about. I can give you a bit of an example, but I can give you an example, but I'm thinking back to maybe somebody who's took a um, a drug of some sort. Mm. and and I, I'm going to give you an example. There was a guy I knew, and really nice guy, very um, outgoing, um, had a lot of circle of friends, guys who was in there he'd speak to, take something, and the personality completely changes, mm. completely on its head in a bad way. It's not nice to see. It really isn't nice to see. And I can remember having these conversations with him and like, I, I used to say to him, I can remember, you know, he used to have, the, he, used to, he used to come into the academy and, you know, he used to do some of the courses and he was happy-go-lucky. And, and I'm like, where is this happy-go-lucky guy gone? 
And he knew, he understood what he'd done. He understood what he'd done. And and I sort of had these conversations with him and, and built a relationship up with him. And and then over a, a few month period, you could see that he'd weaned himself off them, what he was taking, his circle of he, he, he sort of his circle of people, he he felt confident with those around him than the, the people he had before. Um he was becoming more healthy. You could tell he was putting on weight and it was just completely different person. And I'd, I'd have these conversations with him and just say, you know, how well he looks now. And, he, and he's getting back to his own self. And it's just, and it shows you that taking supplements, not supplements, taking drugs and things like that, it's just not good. Mm. But but to see somebody in, in you know, to, to be really outgoing, really happy, to be completely polar opposite, but to build yourself back up to where you was before, it, it, it can take a long time. And I think having those positive people around you and making sure that you are okay and that you are getting back into fitness and that you are being active and that you are eating healthy and that somebody is telling you to do that, you know, um, you're putting him back into a good place. And that's... Yeah. that's there's a there's a short term and long term view on that, isn't there? You know, you, you you've just described a really difficult sort of relationship because of um because of chemicals and consumption that then changed into a really positive relationship because you were around and you were that person that could help and support. So it's coming again back yeah. to time, isn't it? At, at the timing yeah. of that person's life, they needed somebody like you that was able to provide the time and the care that you did. And yeah. it, there's there's a constant theme here of um of of care, Darren, isn't there? You you clearly care about people and the people that you're working with and supporting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why I found working in the prison service very rewarding. It's very rewarding in many ways because you see you see guys that that go on in and and are still you know I'm keeping in contact with a couple of them. They've gone on in life and they've achieved, and it's just so. It's great to see, it really is. But what is devastating is that seeing guys come back in again. Yeah. You know? uh, I'm uh, going to come on to that, Darren, because I love the positivity. You've not yeah, mentioned yeah. anything here about, you must have seen so much failure along the way as well. These little small pockets of wins, you're really grasping onto. But tell us about, because someone who cares so much, it must really hurt you when you do get returners that haven't gone through that rehabilitation. And I know the children do ask you about PTSD. Does that, does that come into that when you see failure? Does that have effect on you? It, it does really. Yeah. Because you're wanting people to do well in life. That's yeah. what you wish for people. You wish for people to do well in life. And, and I see, and I've seen it in the prison service and I've seen it when I work for three pillars and I've seen like in schools that you see so much potential I see so much potential. If you're looking at the prison service, I've seen, you know, musicians. I've seen guys who are doing open university courses that are moving on. I see incredible sports coaches, tennis, football players. Wow. Oh, my God. You know, the we, we used to have a football team in the prison service, the, the prison I worked at. We was promoted seven years on the trot as a football team. <laughs> In, we was in a not senior league, 
And we was promoted seven years on the trot. Incredible. So that shows you that the potential that these guys have got as a team, when they put that shirt on, it was like watching Harry Kane put his shirt on. <laughs> he put an England shirt on. It, it just like a complete change. It was a, acted so professional, mm. you know. So you see, I, I just seen so much potential in life, and it's just, and I'm just thinking, why, why is that not spotted before? Why is that not used? And same as the kids in school, you know, I, I see so much potential. It's like yesterday I was in a music class, took a music class. I'm not, I'm not a music teacher, so I'm, I'm like sort of seeing what they're doing and having these conversations some of them on the drums incredible guitarists piano players i'm like wow you know so much potential so much talent where that's going to take them i don't know and it's like the choir that we have in the school they've just they've just um there's a jake book concert so they've just the choir has been with jake bug to, to to you know to sing with jake bug in on the in a in a big arena, can you imagine what that does for these children? Yeah. You know what impact it has on them. And I said to them, "What an amazing experience that you've just had! Something that you can tell your kids, your grandkids, when you've grown up. You've been on on an arena stage singing with a major star. Mm. You know." And um, I said, "That's something to take away. Something that people will never experience in their lives." And, I, and you don't know what that impact has on these young on these young people. And I know? wonder if that that impact, Darren, is is the sort of stark example that that you you've given that the children in the choir that are getting this opportunity mm -hmm. at a, a Jake Bug concert are getting there early in their lives and they're feeling that togetherness and that connection that's supporting yeah. them to understand what that feeling feels like and what that is. And, and, and that's and and it's like up and down the country, you'll get teachers including yourself, that are just amazing role models, educators, can change lives, incredible human beings. And you you don't hear of them very much, or you don't, you know, because they just do what they do. Mm. They're just amazing people. And you where know? you've got the people that are getting it wrong, and, you, you know, you worked in a place where, there's the people getting it the most wrong, the wrongest of the the biggest, the biggest of the biggest mistakes, and the wrongest of the wrong decisions that have been made in yeah. life. You know that they'll end up in in the sort of organisation um, in in the buildings that you worked in in prisons. But you, yeah. they're still capable of that belonging and that togetherness. In your football example, despite yeah. the fact they've had the difficulties and they've made terrible decisions and they've got themselves yeah. caught up in things that. You know they they have to take accountability for. <laughs> Essentially, you've put them in a position of trust, of care, of giving them belonging and connection through the vehicle of football, and they've yeah. still flourished. So, yeah. do you think there's a connection here between trying to get people to understand and have the opportunity to have those um, opportunities earlier in their life that allows them to understand it and be better uh, tooled to to get on with people and to connect with them and to feel belong so they don't actually end up making the wrong decisions and the 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 poor sort of choices as they get a bit older i think i think it needs to be happening early on in life maybe 10 11 year old something around there to 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 direct them and put them on on a on a better path you know because you don't want them to be become disruptive you want them to be good you know good learners you want them to 
achieve great results. You want them to go on in life and be successful. These are the things that you want. And these are the things you need to, you know, we need to be speaking to them about, you know, and because we want the best for them, you know, and. Does our structure, does our structure fail them, Darren, in terms of the way our schools are set up? Because we debate this a lot, don't we, about does, is school actually right for everyone? We've got this one size fits all model where you're being judged on a set of qualifications at 16 and 18 and they're your pathways to go. And that's not for everybody. And I think we do switch a lot of kids off in school. Do you think that's maybe a problem is the way that society's set up with that in mind? And then we see these children rebel against that. What what do you reckon? Um, Yeah, you're right in saying that all kids are all, they're all learning different ways. And and it's understanding them all and do they all fit the same, you know, model. Um, I think it's something that maybe could be changed and adapted in some way, but also, you know, the schools have to do what has to be done by the government. You know, they yeah. have, to do, have to achieve, they have to do certain subjects, they have to do what needs to be done. But, the, you know, I feel that when I first came to the school, I, I had these conversations with like year sevens, eight, nine, tens, elevens. You know, do you go on trips? Do you go places? Do you do things? Do you experience things? And and a lot of them said they don't really wow. experience. And some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them can afford these trips. Yeah. Some of them can't. Yeah. You know, and and I feel the need to experience you know, going to different places and and visiting and doing different things, and understanding that there's other things out there to yeah. do. And, You've got to level and, the playing field. Is that what you're saying? Like, particularly with low socioeconomic background, we've got to make sure that they're getting the same opportunities of of children who are coming from middle class and all go to private school or getting those opportunities. And and I think we had that conversation many many months ago with Maxine, didn't we? Who worked in a really tough inner city Sheffield. And she was saying that there were children who'd never seen sheep before. They'd never even travelled to the other side of the city. Mm. And so you've got to broaden children's horizons. And it'd be interesting to see the stats with prison service of children that have ended up going into, into having sentences, what their actual experiences like you've just talked about entailed. Do you reckon they'd be fairly narrow, Darren? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I I think a lot a lot can be done and a lot can be changed. Um, but but it's got to suit, and every student is different in yeah. their own way, and and it's very difficult because of time and and obviously teachers are doing so much in the time that they've got. You know, they they go to work and then they doing the prep when they get home, and and it, it's just so many hours in a day. Yeah. And you know you do it in the interest of the children. That's what you do it in the interest for. I'm just going to give you an example now. It's just something that just popped into my head about experiences. Now, um, I, when I worked for Three Pillars Project, um, one of our apprentices, he 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 was in my car. We 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 was doing the Welsh Three Peaks, so climbing Snowdon. 
um, Id, uh, Adra Idris and uh, Penny Fan. Mm. And one of the guys I had in my car, he's one of the apprentices of Three Pillars, and he served quite a number of years inside, you know, so he's got a story to tell, an incredible story at that. On the way to Snowdonia, he looks out the window and you've got to realise he'd never never experienced mountains at all, at all in his life. Looks out the window and he's like, is that Snowden? And I was like, no, it's Snowden is about 10 times high, 10 <laughs> times. And I went, I mean, this guy's in his early 30s, right? No, Snowden's about 10 times higher. Gets a little bit closer. Is that Snowden? No, Snowden's a lot <laughs> higher. So he's trying to gauge what Snowden looks like. Anyway, we I parked up on Ogwen Valley, and Ogwen Valley is near a, a, a mountain called Triffin, beautiful place, North Wales. Pulled up in the car park, and I said, "Just follow me down this path. You'll, you'll. This is amazing." And the water is flowing through from the from the lake, and in a waterfall down into the down the towards the main coast through the valley, and. And I said, just just follow me, just come down this path. And we jumped across this water onto a boulder. So the water is cascading down. And he stood there and he's looking around and he can't believe where he is. And he stood there and he's going, oh, my God. And it, and I'm just like, I had to step, step out and go out of it because that was his moment. Yeah. You know, and I stepped away and I just left him in the moment. And I just heard him say, and he just, oh my God, I can't believe it. And and he did that and he managed to do the Welsh Street Peak. So can you imagine that somebody in the early 30s achieving something like that? What can what can what that can do for him? Yeah. But equally, you giving experiences to kids and opening up their eyes to different things, what that can do for them. Yeah. You're opening a door. Yeah. There is an organization now called Fulham Reach Boat Club. Um that is situated on Thames. And what they do is take kids out rowing on the Thames and also, you know, the schools in the area. What surprises me is that some of these kids have never seen the River Thames. And they, they only live a stone's throw away. They've not experienced this. They stop within the postcode. You know, they, they need to come out and, and experience these different, you know, different things. It's just it's just so much to take in. And the guys at Fulham Reach are just an incredible, amazing group of people that that support these kids. But also they go into prisons and deliver a project called Boats Not Bars. So we've got Imogen, who's a world champion rower, going into you know, young offenders learning them how to row. And and these times that they're getting, they can be recorded on on the website. You know, it's just, I said, I, I can remember saying to Imogen, I wish when I was in prison that I could have somebody who is incredible as you and what your experiences are to come and speak to my guys. Because not only would they talk about rowing, they talk about the fitness, they talk about, foods they talk about they just have conversations with you all day you know because they, they, they just sort of pick your brains so it's just having these positive role models 
around you and it just makes so much difference to people younger people and older people what you're getting out there and, and i feel it i really feel it darren is connection with nature linked to physical exertion how powerful those are and and i'm fully buy into that yeah and we all know the benefits of it but then isn't it counterproductive that we then lock people up and don't experience that and our children are sat down for what eight hours a day Oh, you're drawing some, drawing some comparisons between prisons and schools. I am. You're going to get cancelled. You're going to get. <laughs> I, I, but do you get where I'm going there? That how, as a human, yeah. we, 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 yeah. really need connection with nature yeah. and physical exercise. Yet we are more sedentary than we've ever been. Does that? I, I, do you see where I'm going there, Darren? Yeah, and and we need it. I don't feel we? that PE. I think kids should do PE every day. Every day. Yeah, I mean, we love that. <laughs> even if it's half an hour. Even if it's half an hour. Even if it's going out on the sports field or going for a run or a power walk. Yeah. Every day. How, how, how do, do you guys... When Did you dis distinctly see a mood change when you were in, in the prison service and they go out for their, their time, their allocated time? Did you see a change in mood when after they'd come back in? Absolutely. Amazing. Absolutely. You know, it's not just for the mind, it's for the body as well. And and I, and I spoke about, you know, uh, early on um, before, before we went live about how COVID affects, especially in prison service, I, uh, you've got to realise that a lot of the guys was locked away for a long periods of time. And, you know, we used to collect guys and we used to go out because we couldn't go inside we did our gym outside in the open air. So I used to, when we used to collect them, some guys used to like, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. And was like, you're going to go. <laughs> I used to say to them, come on. We need to get outside. It's going to do you good. And when they've done that session and they come back and there was like, be like you know, it's all about. Yeah. It's getting out there and good for the mind and good for the body and good for connecting as well because you need to connect and that's important, you know. So are we, um, are we getting this all wrong then, Darren? We want people to have belonging, have connection, have experiences, build relationships. But if they make mistakes, we're isolating them in <laughs> cells, whether that's in prison or we're isolating them sometimes, often in schools, in isolation rooms in detentions that stop them having these experiences and connections in you know call them what you want that there's there's probably something of, of some sort of equivalent in most schools yeah need to get them out get them walking get them camping yeah. get them to, get them to learn skills get them to understand other people to have them conversations it's the younger generation spend so much time on the phones. Yeah. Get out and talk and go for a, go for a walk. Do do something. They're just being on the phones and just connect with people, talk to people. You know, I feel that needs to be done more. And uh, just get, getting them out and doing things, it just makes so much difference. Um, yeah, it really does. It really does. Tell, tell us, Darren, how this links with your 
passion then for endurance sport? Because we talked in the introduction, didn't we? That that journey from Norway to Malta, was it? And by the way, they're a random two countries to connect together. <laughs> How did that come about? Tell us about your passion for that. <laughs> okay, so I've always been in... Now, this is really strange because when I was at school, I hated sports with a no passion. Way. I hated sports. And I never, I never thought I'd become a teacher at all. I didn't know... And and I, I have this conversation now with, with the kids. What are you going to do when you grow, when you leave school? Do you go and see somebody? Is there a career? Yes, there's people, people to see. I said that when I was at school, this is my take on it, right? Is that I can remember when I was at school and I knocked on the careers door and there's a lady sat there and she looked so disinterested. She wasn't <laughs> interested. So what does that tell me when I walk through the door? It puts me in the same place. It, it yeah. makes me feel the same. You know, um, and I didn't know what to do. And the funny thing was, when I left school, by the age of, when I was eighteen, I joined a martial arts organization, and I got really heavily into martial arts, and I ended up um, achieving third degree black belt, third down black belt. And I used to compete around the country, and I don't, I don't talk a lot about that because, you know, that's a, that's in the past, and. And I've moved on, and I really enjoyed all of that because it was a, it was like a family, you know, when we was when we was competing and when I'm going to the club and learning and and achieving. But what rewarded me? This comes back again. What rewarded me was I used to judge high grades, and you know when I used to see them achieve their high grades, it's the same feeling. It's rewarding seeing some people do well, you know. So when you talk about endurances. So I moved on from martial arts and then um, I did a half marathon and a friend of mine, um, he had leukemia and I was raising money um, for him. Um, and what we did was the money I had a, a, a bench made that that was placed in the hospital, local hospital in the garden. So it was a beautiful bench and it was a... Um, it was it was part of um raising money for 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 him and and i can remember on the day and i wasn't a run i'm not i wasn't a runner at the time at all it just wasn't something that interested me so i did it with a group of people and i was probably one of the last ones to finish but the the sad thing was is that he passed away on the day of the race and and that really hits you that you remember things like that because of you know, he has such a, uh, a passion for life and then it was taken away from him and that is really sad. And because of that, I think it sort of sowed a seed in that because I did a half marathon, I, did, I started to do a few other half marathons, then a full marathon. And then um, I started getting into endurance races and then I I had the chance in, it was quite a number of years ago, to put the 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 chance of um, going on a North Pole expedition. Unfortunately, it didn't materialise. So I ended up going on a Arctic expedition to Norway uh, the year after. And this is where the bike sort of journey came in years later. Yeah. So we crossed what was called, this was in Norway, the Finnmark Plateau. And the Norwegians thought we was a bit crazy camping out in the winter because <laughs> it's just something they don't generally do. 
in, in, in that part of Norway. So I went on to do three international Arctic expeditions in Norway, Greenland, we climbed 13 first ascents in 2007 and 2010. I went to the Watkins Mountains, where the highest mountains are in in, um, in the Arctic. Unfortunately, we didn't fulfil our objectives because the weather was horrendous. And you sort of learn, because when you're in, it's like a big brother, when you sort of, Within a group of people, you get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and you look after each other. And our our aim was to climb the second and third ice mountain in the Arctic in the winter time, and still to this day, it's not been done. We didn't fulfil our objectives. But anyway, you learn. You need to take so much from that. Again, life experiences. I was very lucky and very uh, blessed to go on these trips. So I had this. Now, coming back to John McAvoy, I had this conversation with John, and John was he, he was doing um, Ironman races, Ironman races, and I'd, I'd been to all his races. And I can remember one day he contacted me and was like, Darren, why don't you have a go at doing one of these Ironmans? And do you know something? I didn't know, like, the training aspect of it. I didn't know what was needed. <laughs> I think once I looked into it... <laughs> It takes a hell of a lot of training. It really does. And so I was doing endurance races. And then when it come to about December, January time, because the race was in July, I was, I'm not a swimmer, but that is my week discipline out of the three. So I can remember getting into the baths and and I did two lengths and I, and I just couldn't do any more. And I thought, what the hell was wrong with me? You know, I thought I was fit, but because it's specificity you know regarding swimming I wasn't a swimmer so I had to learn to swim but not only indoors but outdoors outdoors is completely different kettle of fish when it comes to the race even more so because people will try and swim over you (laughs) you know it's (laughs) you're fighting against each other sometimes so you come to the this the cycling trip and now this is quite interesting because I wanted to do something that I would be able to visit north of Norway again because it's such a beautiful place. So I thought with me reaching my milestone of 50 years old, I'm going to try and push myself to go on a trip or sort of organise a trip I've never done before that's really going to push me mentally and physically. So... This was at the time I was working in the prison service. So what I what we did, I mean, the Mark Hansen, who was the governor at Loudoun Grange, absolutely incredible man in supporting me as part of this this um, challenge, um, cycling from the top of Norway down to Malta. So what we did was we put a team, a group of guys together, serving sentences. Wow. So what we did, the media department supported this as well. We got four bikes on turbos and we've got a a group of guys serving sentences and what they did our intention was for them to mirror my mileage what i did every day so on the board put a big poster up so they could each day mark down where i was how far i'd gone from start to finish so i used to be in these conversations with them on the speakerphone and they used to let me know how far they'd gone and 
some of the weight they'd lost as well, which was quite interesting because I had an ex-offender that, that supported them, gave them the, the clothing and gave them food and supporting like energy bars and things like that. So it was a, a big team, um, big team event. And it was a tough, tough um, trip mentally and physically. It really, really pushed me to the limit. But what what supported me was, you know, the family, the friends, but also the guys who was back home doing the mileage on the turbos day in, day out, mm -hmm. you know. So when it got to the end of the trip, so I'd cycled from the top of Norway called Nordcap or North Cape, as they call it, all the way through Norway, Finland, the length of Sweden, Germany, through, over the Alps, the length of Italy, down to Sicily, and then ferried across to, to Malta. I can remember getting there to the finishing line. There's a fountain in Valletta, which is a prominent, really beautiful place, place to be. And I had a conversation with them, and I, and I made the phone call, and I was like, I've completed the journey. And, you know, your support has been absolutely incredible. Each and every one of you, what you've done in supporting me without you, this is a team event. Without you, I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have done this. So the next thing they said was, do you know how many miles we've done? And I'm like, I'm guessing similar to what I've done. And they said, no, we've, we've cycled as a collective over 10,000 miles. And I was absolutely blown away, you know. I, you know, but to have them guys supporting me in my dark times, there was plenty of them day in, day out cycling as a team. Um, they were just so supportive to me. And I don't know, I don't think there's any prison in the world that has done anything of that magnitude whereby you will have a group of guys serving a sentence cycling on turbos following my journey supporting me encouraging me day in day out making sure that i'm okay how am i feeling what am i eating how am i sleeping at night how do i feel the next day and having these conversations with them and at the end knowing that they've cycled over ten thousand miles it's just i've just found that mind-blowing or inspiring absolutely and that must that must change them as a person as well. They must, yeah. you know, later on in their life, they must recall back to that and think, you know, I was part of that, of that trip, you know? It's incredible, Darren. And I think we just tie it back to... Full circle. Full cir yeah. Completely full circle. Relationships plus trust equals a sense of belonging. Mm. Completely. Everything you've talked about comes back to that, that... What you were, what went on in that prison is something special, and you don't get that everywhere. Clearly, mm. you get that through those relationships, through the development of trust, and then it buys into that collective culture. So that's just absolutely phenomenal to listen to. Yeah, we we're going to wind it down now, Darren, and we we have a few questions that we do at the end. Bit of fun. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll start with you go out for a meal. Which three people, dead or alive, would you like to have? A meal within a good chat like we've done today. Wow. Would, would you like to learn from them as well? That That's always a good thing to throw in. Who would you like to learn from? Do you know something? If you're looking at comedy, Robin Williams. 
Mm. Yeah, that's it'd be a good it'd be a good guest. Um, what an I mean, I was bought up, bought up with Mork and Mindy, <laughs> and um, and you know, it always used to make me laugh. And then obviously, you see some of his some of his films that he did, yeah. uh, some of his stand up. So, uh, Robin Williams for me. Um, yeah. Do you know something, Sir David Attenborough? What an incredible yeah. human being. Um, now, just would David Attenborough have been narrating the meal and what's going on? <laughs> or would he just be there? What what an incredible man to have conversations about where he's been on the planet and, and how the because you know to have that detailed discussion is how how is the planet coping with with global warming? How how what is extinct? What is yeah. you know, what is the most interesting insect animal that he's ever seen and you know, so this you could have conversations oh, for him, couldn't you? It would, it would do you always think he'd make a belting prime minister. Absolutely. Right. Follow just, him, just you? It's just yeah, you'd follow him, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd follow him. And your last one, last one, Darren. Robin Williams, oh. that's David Attenborough would be the other one. Do you know something? I've got I've got a few of them. I mean, I love Stevie Wonder, James Brown, Tina Turner, some of the explorers, maybe Sin Ernest. Um, Shackleton or Edmund Hillary. Yeah. Do you know something? I, I there's one singer I don't I don't really like. <laughs> right, and that's Elvis. And okay. to spend some time and for me to understand oh, why, wow. it, it, you know, to understand why I just sort of don't like his music, but to know him as a person because he had a big story to tell, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, certainly did. And, I like that. Uh, Comes back to a lot of that links back understanding people, isn't it? It and is seeking uh, to understand. And I think I think what we've seen from Darren and, and throughout this conversation is that a willingness to to want to seek to understand and to pick Elvis because you don't like him probably speaks incredibly loudly about the the type of person you are. We've we've had a, a cracking cracking morning chatting to you, Darren. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. I wonder if you could tell our listeners, um, where they can read a little bit more about you and the Three Pillars work that you do and maybe some of the endurance races that you do. Where can people find out more about Darren? Well, I'd, I'd like to say I worked for Three Pillars for, for 18 months and, um, you know, they support the young guys in prison and also in the community as well. I don't work for Three Pillars now, but I have so much passion for what they do and supporting the younger generation and the young guys in prison, to, you know, to sports mentor them because mentoring is an important part of helping them and guiding them in their life. Um, but like I say, I work in a secondary school now and and I just, you know, I'm working with a fantastic team and, you know, the support that they give to the young kids, they really, really do help them and support them. And I feel that... Um, that needs to be done. Um, at the moment, I'm having a bit of a... I'm not doing any endurance training as such, so I am keeping active. I I'm, I'm, I don't have to hit any targets as such now as what I used to do. Um, so I just get out on my mountain bike and I go walking and, and I just love being active, you know. So what is the next challenge? I'd like to do some... i like to do another long-distance cycle because I've done quite a lot of long-distance cycling uh, the first one I did Balanza and John O'Groats. I did that on a road bike. That's crazy, yeah. that is, isn't it? I did that on a road bike, on a carbon <laughs> fiber bike, right, in 2010. And by the end of it, the framers almost had it. New gears, <laughs> new brakes, 
new chain, needed new parts, spokes were pinging, you know, so I'd not, I'd, I'd not, I gained a lot of knowledge from that. So from then on, you know, I cycled the coast of Ireland, uh, took me 20 days to do that. Um, and then obviously um, Ironman as well, uh, which is a, a phenomenal feat uh, of uh, achievement. But um, but yeah, I just enjoy being active. And, and I'd just like to mention also, um, coming back to John McAvoy, the incredible work that he does and the organisations that, that he supports. He's actually got a... Um, he does fellow retreats. So what he takes, he, what he does is take kids out to the mountains to experience. So we come back to this conversation, what we just yeah. had re- previously, that, you know, in, in nature and and how important it is for the mind and the body, he takes kids out there and to experience running and cycling and swimming and experiencing things that they probably will have never done before, mm-hmm. you know, and... And to have John as an amazing, incredible role model to them, they they wouldn't find anybody better than than the amazing man that he is. Yeah. And and I and I just I'm just you know blessed to know him and and support him on his journey um, because he is an incredible human being. And and supporting these young kids, he's got that story to tell to help support them and. Obviously, I'm there for him whenever he needs me. I'm there for him, and if I can support any of the kids or anybody, I will do. Um, and it's all working together, and it's building relationships and having that positive impact on others, and that makes a difference. You know, it really does. It does, man. Keep doing what you're doing, top man. Thanks a lot for your time, Darren. Really appreciate it, and um, absolutely wonderful to meet you two guys. And what you're doing is incredible. So keep up the amazing work that you're doing. And it's um, great to meet you one day. Yeah. yeah. Really to <laughs> Top man. Cheers. Ta-da. All the best. Take care. Thanks for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Sensemakers, brought to you by the Infinite Learners podcast and backed by Tsunami, the number one ego kit provider for schools worldwide. You can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com. And if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners, you can find us on your favourite podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you.